Hello and welcome to Why It Matters. This is a podcast for leaders who know that relevance is a moving target. I'm Michael Goff and I'm the Strategy Director at Spark Studio. This is a collection of interviews with leaders who are passionate about something that is being overlooked. Sometimes that would be a brand, a product or a service, but it can also be an idea, something that has lost its value for many. And to re-express relevance, you need someone with vision. And today I'm chatting to Simon Lawson. Simon is the chairman of the builders merchant Lawson's that operate across the southeast of England. Simon is the fourth generation from the Lawson family to run the business, which celebrates its centenary this year. So I'm asking Simon, why a business run by family values matters. So welcome, Simon Lawson. It's lovely to have you on the podcast, Why It Matters. Thank you. And you are a chairman of Lawson's. It's the fourth generation of the family business. And I believe it's your 100th anniversary this year. It is indeed, yes. 100 years. And what's it like marking an anniversary in lockdown? It's challenging, you know, in, in the sense of how we celebrate it. We just put it back a year and uh, the principles are the same. So it will be in our 101st year that we celebrate our 100th. A bit more like my 60th. I'll celebrate my 60th when I'm about 62, probably. <laughs> Very good. I think everyone will get used to that. So that should be fine. And how long have you been involved in the family business? I've been involved since about 93, 92, I joined. So more full-time. Worked for another part of the family business prior to that for a few years. And prior to that, I was in corporate Britain. And it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily then a foregone conclusion that you would end up in the family business? No, I, th- I think I've even had this discussion with my son, Josh. Uh, I think it's very important to get some experience outside a family business to have some context. So when you come into a, a, a business that has the strap values, strap lines that we have, you're very clear about the differentiator. And I think if you've got some comparisons to particularly corporates who tend to have a, a different motive for their existence in my view then i think it it, it makes it a lot more relevant and i I would encourage anyone not to go straight into a family business but have some outside experience first before coming in great that makes sense and um, going to the strap line i think that's the kind of essence of what we're sort of talking about today your business strap line is family values professional service and i guess i'm interested in that particular point around family values and so the kind of core question that goes to the kind of heart of the of the podcast is, why does a business run by family values matter? Just a bit of background, I did economics and politics at university. As I said, then I went into corporate PLC Britain. Then I went and did an MBA, which again was very much about KPIs, processes, really didn't touch on values and ethics particularly. And I looked at how the Quakers shaped family values and they managed to blend very good business practices with actually tackling some very strong, in my view, social issues of the time, such as housing, doctors in the workplace and various other aspects like that. And my question was, how do how do we business people today embrace those sorts of values where clearly housing is still a problem in the UK? Yeah. Clearly public health is still an issue, whether it's COVID or obesity or diabetes. How do companies embrace more than just profit? And how do we, as a business become really honor our social contract with society i'll put it like that because mm. it's not just it shouldn't just be about your business it should be about the wider footprint that exists within the business that include environment as well as obviously social factors and obviously having to make a profit so my my, my kind of driver was how do we blend something to, in today's world that was done very well in my view by the some people like the quakers 
um, in Joseph Rowntree and George Cadbury. And George Cadbury, as we know, built the Bourneville Village for his workers, which was way out of its time. And so how do we address that today? And then when I did my master's in 2010 at Ashridge, I, I did my dissertation, my thesis on love at work. So I kind of extended the concept of family values. And if we are, in essence, a humans that appreciate love, we really get love. Although I think the practical, how we do we apply it outside the family is often quite difficult. There, how's that challenge manifest itself in business? So how do we show true empathy, true compassion, and build a business around values and family rather than just about profit? So all those sort of things got put in the mix and went from there, really. Fantastic. And what were the trigger for you when you were sort of, you know, at the start of your business career and you were thinking, you starting to think about this and recognize the kind of Quaker history that you had in the in the business? What what were, what were you seeing in that historic model that you weren't seeing in, in the kind of current context that you were pioneering your own career in? Lots of businesses today are, are so focused on the short term. I think there's huge issues around disparity of wealth being one of them. You only know, have to go back 30, 40 years and the difference between the top paid and the lowest paid was probably a factor of 50, 60. Mm. And now it can be factors of in the hundreds. Uh, and, and how can that be right? Uh, and I think lots of, you know, my, my own personal journey with, you know, actually having a very comfortable lifestyle, relatively speaking to lots of what I call social injustice around the world. You know, how do we marry all those things up? And I think if you're a, a human being that wants the greater good for society and business can be a force for good, there's that interplay, there's that challenge. And rather than just taking out what you can for yourself, for your own ego, for your own pride, how do you shape more giving and more compassion in, 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 that, in that sense? So it, it really was a, a journey that, that spiritually for me was important. Uh, I have a strong Christian faith that says, for me, how do we demonstrate love, love thy neighbor? And therefore, one should love your co-worker. And how do you, you know, how do you, how does that all work? So it really was not addressed for me in big corporates. It was something that was sadly lacking in business. Values, business values, are something that have sort of been knocking around for a, for a long time. What what is it about the nuance of a family? business family values that you think adds weight or strength it's the fact that it's in your strap line there's a kind of deep conviction for you so i think a family when your name's above the door i think you you can have the propensity to really want to live that out knowing that you've got you know for me i've been in the business 30 years i think many other people who are in other businesses may only be there for three or four years before they move on i think longevity is very important and I think it's also you as a leader, how do you want to shape your business? And I'm not saying all family businesses want to shape values, but for me, that's really integral to who I am. So my leadership style is, is as best I can, showing humility, compassion, being very focused on delivering profit, don't get me wrong, uh, certainly environmental considerations. And that's my footprint. That's what, you know, if you want to join my business, that's what I stand for. And I'm very clear about that. So, so in the family context, I'm very clear I hope I'm very clear anyway about what, what we're about. And then people really have an understanding when they join us, this is what we do. So we have a sort of, you know, family charter. We have all sorts of benefits and policies that we do that all the staff get when they join us. We have a good contribution in terms of the pension scheme, profit share, et cetera, family fund aid. So there's lots of stuff we do. I think I'm hoping we're very clear about that and that we communicate that. And that's what we're about. And I think if you're not in a family business, even if you do say that, I think at the end of the day, the buck stops with, are you making enough money? Probably all your bonuses, all your all your stuff is raked up about short-term earnings. And that's the way business works. Don't agree with it, but that's, that's the way the world works. 
Yeah. The family value aspect, is that something you brought to the business or, or has Lawson's always been sort of thought of as being a family value led business through through the generations? Well, what I do, I, I, I think values, of, it's very important not to have a top-down approach in business. So one of the things I've done is have what we call a values lunch. So I invite staff around to my house. I love cooking. So I don't have managers or directors uh, present, but there are people who are very much at the front front end. And I've probably had about 300 people over the last five or six years through my house. Fantastic. And they call the values lunches, and it's, it's a servant leadership model. So I'll make lunch for them. I'll serve what they like. I very much try to keep my mouth shut and they will just talk about what they want to talk about. And through that, the values start to develop. So I'm sitting there in a sense of, of a powerful person that I can actually implement the values that they express. And there's been lots of great examples. Um, I'll give you one that came up a couple of years ago before COVID, where we used to give out all the gifts at head office to, to the staff through a, a raffle, which you had to pay to join. And the comment came back, that's all very fair. But when, when there were things like football tickets for the World Cup or something very prestigious, the raffle tickets went up and only the managers could afford it. So they said it'd be much better if you made it all free. So we said, great, makes a lot of sense. So we moved to that model. And then a really other interesting thing came up on the values lunch. It said, what we actually really love is boxing. I don't know much about boxing other than I've taken it up in my personal life to try and get fit. And we never gave out raffles that were boxing. So there'll be sort of examples like um, comedy club. And we, I guess you get 10, 20 people applying for the tickets. So, he said, so I said, what does that mean to the guys around the table? And they, they said, um, well, you know, there's a U-Bank, whatever it was. I can't remember. So I said, fine, I'll buy four tickets, give you all overnight accommodation. We'll raffle it out and see what you like. So we had 300 people apply for that. Wow. And the whole company was buzzing about that. So just by listening, thinking that we were doing actually a good, which we, were, we weren't doing anything bad, but we were assuming that's what our staff liked, comedy club or whatever it was, theatre. And actually by listening and then actually enacting uh, something that they actually really appreciated, boxing match, we actually, I think, demonstrated good values. So the prizes were vouched tailored to what they saw as something that was of great interest to them rather than something that they were pretty indifferent about. And that that for me is a good example of how the values started to evolve through the business. It's about listening to to what people need in life. Uh, They then become much more engaged. And just having that open communication, not judging, and being very humble as a leader. I very much go into most business views about not having any fixed position and just listening. I guess I'm thinking, uh, you know, our background as Sparks is we're focused on brand and perception and shaping perceptions in the in the minds of target audiences. What struck us about uh, your sector is that it's a very kind of traditional sales-led sector, very much focused on price being a point of difference or cost of units and uh, you know scale of delivery reach or, or range of products under one roof. I'm wondering, have you ever th- seen an opportunity to bring some of this personal sensibility around values more into the way that the, the business talks about itself from a brand point of view and a perception point of view in the marketplace? Um, yeah, we've we talked about it. I think, I mean, brands are important, don't be wrong, but I think it's, when you, it's how you live out those values. Absolutely. And it's that personal interface with someone that changes their view of what bosses may be like whatever it is and that's that's actually what really matters whatever name you put above the door whatever strap line you have i mean there are countless companies up there that have great strap lines and you go behind the scenes it's a load of tosh to be honest so it's how you live them out and i always think the, you know my, my brand as a family name is only as good as how i walk it as soon as i behave in a different manner that isn't in line with the company values that brand's gone so, so I, i'm kind of yeah I, I get brands but i also get 
it's how that leadership behaves and that's more important actually yeah i mean the brand the brand absolutely has to be an extension of how the leadership behaves it has to be full of integrity and authenticity because absolutely right the moment there's a departure from it then it just becomes lip service so you can have all the glossy stuff you can have everything you like i mean there's this it was on um tv last night on um a pesticide that they that's banned in the europe and it's been sold all over the world third world and they went into the marketing department of this company in hull i can't remember its name now it was absolutely shocking you know the brand they were saying they had tours for the local schools around there and they're basically selling poison. And there have been hundreds of deaths in India. And um, the the branding was just, and the marketing was just rubbish. These executives really thinking that it's up to them whether they spray it correctly or not, this this pesticide. It was just shocking. There's this great book by uh, Margaret Rutherford called Willful Blindness. I don't know if I mentioned this before, but she's she interviewed guards outside Auschwitz who ran the train service. So he pulled a lever and... The train went into the camp and then 5,000 people got burnt, whatever it was. Um, well, we didn't. And so she interviewed him. He's a, he's, a, he's a German chap, uh, obviously, lovely family, never broke the law. And she said, did you know what you did? And he, he's, he, he said, yeah, but, you know, we just pulled the levers. So, but we all do it. We're all complicit, you know, whether we buy clothes that made with child labor in, in India or not. So we're all complicit in a system that potentially is, is wrong, but it's exacerbated by this business leaders that that go down this willful blindness it's all about me and the company yeah. and not the bigger imp- social impact you know and as business leaders we've got to open up more about how and how we behave and the way we behave infects the world and you can yeah. argue this about climate change you know businesses are full of their own pro- prophecies of you know this is what the business does actually this it's about the world and how you impact the world and that's where you've got to look at it Given the events over the last sort of 12 months or so, and the, one of the, the topics that inevitably lots of people have talked about is, is fostering a sense of culture when you've migrated perhaps from the office setting to a, to a kind of more a home homework setting. Mm. Um, and obviously this, this focus for you on, on family values is very much focused on, on the staff and making sure that the staff feel engaged and listened to and supported in their, in their endeavor. Do you see that how that then, does that then trickle down into the customer experience as well? Does it move beyond the staff into, into the kind of shop floor experience at the Lawson's warehouses? Yeah, I think so. I, th- I think all I can say is that we have a very strong and loyal customer base. And I think people, when I go around the sites, there are the same customers coming in a lot of the time because they like coming to us, obviously. I mean, price is one thing, but, but actually having that sort of interface, human interface is another. So, yes, I think I think the culture, there's quite a lot of evidence to say don't look after, well, do look after your customers, obviously, but look after your staff first and then your customers will automatically yeah. be looked after. Yeah. I'm not saying we've got everything perfect by any means, but but that should be the inference. So I work on my staff much more than my customers so I know if they're engaged, they will engage with the, the people that come into our shops, and then the culture becomes, I think, a lot. Stronger. How do you ensure that the the values are, are built are authentic, that they're built on a kind of sincerity within the, the the business experience and business life? I think I think we're very strict as a business. I think we don't tolerate certain things that have come up in the past, and we're very clear about that. So we don't fluff stuff up. Uh, as I know some companies do. So we, we're very clear about what we expect. And if you want to be on the football team, you, you're part of the team. And if you're not, then we're quite happy to say goodbye. So so I think it has to be firstly clear what the values are and then enacting them out is, is also very important. 
to treating people with respect, to a whole range of things are very important to us. And what's lost if, if a business doesn't have those values? And I guess specifically on the focus of love from your thesis, what, what gets missed out? What, what's, what's to the detriment of the business? Well, I think one of the interesting comments people make today is, is that a lot of people move around companies and whereas 50 years ago, people stay, tend to stay in companies for a long time. And I'm not convinced that that's the right approach to say, you know, people should move around businesses a lot or, or jobs. Because at the end of the day, if you're really happy where you're working, why not stay there? So the whole culture of this moving people around or people feel they have to move jobs all the time, it to me doesn't necessarily make sense. If businesses get their culture right and their values right, and the very important, the humility of the leadership, so they're actually not in positions of power, in positions of compassion and helping people out, then people will actually want to stay because A, they feel looked after, they're paid well or should be paid well, and they see a future. I wonder why if people do move around a lot in industry, it is because fundamentally they're expecting something else and they're not happy with yeah, where they are. Yeah. So I think I think there's a lot of issues around all of that for me. And I guess going back to your thesis, what was it that you were sort of uh, exploring in this idea around love and business? What was the kind of kernel of the, the synopsis, if you like? For me, there was a lot about power in it and the ego. Uh, I found that very interesting, lots of research on ego and how leadership becomes very detached as soon as it values yeah. ego and money and power and it distances itself out from its from its roots in essence and that's why i think humility is so important in leadership uh, so i did a lot of work around around power and the irony of love and power is that you know if you don't love it can be very powerful if, if done in a, in a compassionate way but power without love can be equally really damaging and, and hurtful so so love and in, of love and power interplay in in everything business is no exception so so in one sense, you have to demonstrate power, but but with a compassionate heart. And how does that actually transmit in the workplace? So when you see something wrong, when you see values such as talked about the boxing, getting the boxing tickets, I enacted because I was there as leader. I could I could act in my power to say, right, we're going to get four tickets. I made it happen. And they were all very grateful. So there's quite a lot of interesting interplay between power and love. And if that goes out of balance, you get ego, you get a whole range of things come in, which unfortunately is very common today. And I think the whole issue of, you know, what car you drive to the suit you wear, it all in one sense is about being presentable, but in another sense, it, it differentiates you from people who may not have that same background and therefore they won't tell you what, what is really important to them. So I think there's a whole mixture of stuff in how we behave as humans, that, that especially as leaders, we need to really be careful how we come across. Because yeah. to be really effective in, 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 in a business, you actually need all your staff, all your people to say actually the truth, what they feel and what they see. And they will only do that if they feel they can open up and communicate with you. Otherwise, they'll tell you what you want to hear. And when you're exploring this as a theme for your thesis, obviously the, the business has tenure and you, join, you you kind of stepped into the business as, as an extension of the family. S- selling that idea into a board of directors, was there immediate buy-in or was there a kind of sense of that there was kind of scrutiny about where this was coming from or was there was, did you have a sympathetic board? I, I, I've said it's been challenging at times because I've got some pretty hard-nosed accountants but what I would say is, is part of the challenge as a leader, you need to be challenged yourself. So I don't pick a board that has all my views. I pick a board that has quite strong commercial views and a range of other skill sets. So there is a good debate at board level. And that's really important that all the, all the different views are aired. 
I one of the things I'm, I'm very careful about is overruling things that come out of the board. I use my power. And I think it's only on two occasions in the last 10 years I've overruled the board's consensus. So what's really important for me is we get consensus at the board level. We have a really good debate. And and my and I'm not sitting here with a binary view that I'm right and everyone else is wrong. I think really important is 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 as a leader, you you must listen to the debates and then make your call. But that call, in my experience, has been largely, well, 99% of the time, in in a consensus view with the, with the board. So it's been it's testing at times, but that's that's part of debate. You know, you've got to have robust debates and make sure everyone can air their views even if they know you're going to disagree. So, so you've got to encourage that. Yeah. And have they, have they come along, along with you on that journey or is there a sense that they're just sort of humouring you and this kind of idea that you've got this? No, I, th- I think, I, think uh, I suppose what they, they will see the growth of the company, the success of the company. I mean, we are successful if you look at the straight financial stats. So you can tick that box if you're an accountant. I can tick another box where we say, You've know, got a lot of good values going, a lot of good staff schemes going. So I can tick that box. So it, they're not mutually exclusive. So so as long as if you get the whole team with all the different views, actually all thinking this is the company I want to work for because it's got what I want out of it and the other board members got what, what they want out of it, then happy days. Yeah. But it is, you know, people aren't perfect and people will want their own, tend to want their own ways. So it's, it's part, chairing a board is at times challenging. Absolutely. I'm sure. And um, what are the steps that are needed to ensure that the values are making a practical difference? What do you need if, if you're uh, actually trying to implement something? You know, having love in a business is a, is a great ideal and a kind of very high level concept. How do you actually embed it into the business? What are the practical things that need to happen? Well, I think powerful events can come and shock a business. And COVID could be an example. You know, we've had some really tragic stories in our business of staff that have had very difficult times and it's how you respond and it's not about following the procedures and often in these cases it's about saying right if you were in their shoes what would you do and then you do that so getting those values embedded is very much how you do how you enact it and those testimonials and how those people feel after you've gone into your process of trying to help them out is is the walk that's invaluable because it's not about reading this is what we do for you this is actually what happened to me when my life fell apart for whatever reason. So in one way, you could say, not only like tragedy coming along, but, but it gives you an opportunity to, to really demonstrate where your, your love and your culture is. And every question I get when these sorts of events come to hit the board and we have to make a call on it, I say, how would it feel if it happened to you? What would you do? Yeah. And that's the decision we get to. And it could be about money. It could be about help in whatever context and are there ever limitations? Is there ever a sense that there's values can only go so far in helping to shape the business? I, I think there are because ultimately people can choose how much help they want to have from a company. Yeah, There's that side of it. Uh, and also certain issues are very difficult to deal with and we are not professional at dealing with, let's say, an addiction problem. And we can certainly help and we do, um, but if that's a recurring theme, at some point you have to think about hold so it's not an easy again binary yes or no it's yes we'll help you but if you're a continual drain on the company and you're not helping yourself we have to probably make some tough calls so it's it's you know we're not perfect in all of this we will make a call sometimes that is actually we can't help you anymore you need to get professional help outside 
and we need to part ways. That's rare, I would say, but you know, every situation is different. How you respond to it is, you know, how how we shape our values. Yeah. And what would you say were the key lessons that you've learned from applying family values and love, particularly to the business? Don't assume anything. You've got two ears for for a reason. Yes. I mean, there's very few decisions now I view in life as binary. It's right or it's wrong. Everything's about a negotiated view. Um, and you just make sure you've got to hear those negotiated outcomes because um, in a time time short, busy, you've got lots of people to look on, whatever it is, you, you will often make quick decisions. And they might be right. I'm not saying they're not. But if you can, listen and get people to solve their own problems if you can. And anything you would do differently as you look back at the kind of 30 years with, in Lawson's that you think actually if you had your time again? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's a constant learning journey. And if I could learn more 30 years ago, I would, have learned, I would love to have learned more. But I suppose wisdom comes with age and I'm getting on a bit. So it's it's acquiring those life skills that you never become the perfect leader. But it's a journey and you could always do better. Don't beat yourself up about it, but just be willing to learn and, and develop. So if you can, if I could learn any more, then I would love to. But I suppose people, I sit here running a, a relatively successful business. So I'm, I'm happy with that. Could it be any different? Possibly. And could you imagine what Lawson's would have been like had you not brought this whole topic to the to the business? What what thirty years later, what would have been the how, where would you, the tangents have been? I think I think that the issue for me is when I started off in in the business world. Do you want to just run another business, or do you actually do you want to do something that's quite different and countercultural in some senses? If in the business model, that's what drives me. There's that inner gosh. How do we really value people who work with us and all their families and and make a difference? And that's a big driver for me. Because if you don't do the values, then what does it become? A business is about building something that's powerful, that's got a lot of ego attached to it and a lot of money. That doesn't really do much for me, to be honest. Um, and the human condition, you know, even through COVID, is, is, is clearly got to be geared a lot more around compassion and how we treat people who aren't as fortunate as us. And uh, just a little bit on the history, how did the business come about? What led to Lawson's starting? Well, my dad was very entrepreneurial, so he he inherited a business that was probably only one or two branches at, at, at the original Lawson's, and he went off on a tangent and built lots of other business ventures. And I think it came to a point in the early 90s where he said, look, I've got, I've got this Lawson's business. Do you want to get on with it? Or I'll probably sell it and concentrate on the other stuff I'm doing. So I said, yeah, I'll come into it and build up what I think is very much a people-based business it's not an internet business it's not you know driven by other particular factors so it's very much about people i mean the building trade is 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 like that perhaps more than a lot of other things so it decided to really focus on that so it ticked along for many years in the 40s and 50s and then it probably in the 80s we started to really develop it when i came in towards the end of the 80s early 90s so it's in the last 35 years we've really grown it a being very specific about what we offer as a builders much as but also how we treat and build up a staff that have hopefully a sense of pride and want to be with a business that's going to be around for a lot longer. And we're also very clear about, you know, we get lots of offers about people wanting to buy our business, like Travis Perkins, wherever it is. So we're very clear we don't want to sell. So that transparency is very important because a lot of people assume, well, it's any question of how big the check is, then you sell. Yeah. And actually that doesn't do anything for me at all, but a lot of people don't understand that. Yeah. So there's that transparency issue in, in leadership as well. I think it's very important. And that, that doesn't do anything new because it isn't. It, there's a danger that the kind of kernel of what you're trying to achieve in building a sustainable business that puts the, the staff first and has the interests of the staff, there's a danger that gets diluted or forgotten or left behind. I can only have three meals a day. So, you know, if, if I have any more than that, 
because I've got lots of money or whatever people think is irrelevant, I probably won't be around here very long. Yeah. So, you know, you can, you can build your life as a leader with lots of stuff. You can have various houses all around the world. I always remember going on a flight to LA to San Francisco. I, I sat next to a guy in the 80s and he built up this vast business empire, sold it all. And he had houses all over the world. And I said, and he went bust. So I said, well, what do you kind of, you know, think about it all now? And he said, he said, I'm so glad I lost all that stuff. He said, you know, I had a phone call from my house in Miami saying there's a leak or something. And and having stuff and assets, if you're not careful, become a burden. Interesting. Uh, I suppose my own personal life, I declutter my life much more now. And my, my values are about who I meet and, and, and those interactions with people are much more important than having a house in wherever. So it's that personal journey as well, which is, I think, helps people who look at Lawson's and who will work with us. So I'm not kind of some guy that sits miles away from the front line. And how does, it, how does Lawson's compare in the marketplace with other, other builders, merchants? You know, you've mentioned Travis Perkins there. You- yeah, I think we're very well respected, I think. And we've you know, our profitability is way above average. We invest a lot in the, in the facilities. Are you seeing that you've got greater staff retention because of the value approach over, over perhaps other others? We have a fairly good staff retention. There are certain issues. One of these we're moving towards is the, not the minimum wage, we pay above the minimum wage, but we're moving towards the living wage. So that's one of the things I'm very keen that we get pushed through is we've got a two-year program to get to that and we've got the profit share on top. There is, for me, issues about, which I find challenging, you know, the market rate in London is, say, 22,000 or something a year. We pay above that. But my question is, can you live on 23 or 24 or 25,000 a year in London, which is a good salary for many yeah. people? And I struggle with that question. Number of staff that you've got at the moment? 650, 700. And any signs of any other family members possibly coming into the into the firm? Yeah, possibly, but I don't want to put any pressure on them. That's up to them. So who knows? Fantastic. They're, they're young at the moment, so we'll see. Very good. Have there been anything that you've enjoyed during this kind of season from a kind of cultural experience point of view that you think others would, would be worth looking at? No, I would say no. I, I, I think my my cultural joy, if that's right, is 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 living out the compassion and love Actually, when you really when you really connect with human spirit and human, like this this chap, his wife died in his arms last oh, wow. year. One of our lorry drivers, uh, and I'm not sure this quite answers the question. But from a cultural point of view, how we responded and how I I wasn't directly involved, but for me, all the bits that went round, how we responded to him and the support we gave him is just that's what makes me tick. Um, we're working with bounce back in prisons at the moment, getting people out of prisons into um, into work. From uh, you know that that's what motivates yeah. me. Yeah. And when we got a, a lady called Chelsea down at um, Wandsworth, a uh, Wandsworth branch, so she came out of prison about a year ago. We gave her work. She's now much more settled. She's not going to go back to crime. And to me, that's just that makes that that motivates me a hundred percent better than any books or theatre or cultural things. So so that that's what I look for in life. That human connection, the way you can really make a, a difference in someone's life. So I, I look for that sort of stuff that, from a cultural context, because that for me is all about my inner growth and um, how we can demonstrate compassion, um, and that's that's what I look for. You know, there's a there's a bit of a zeitgeist at the moment around sort of business purpose and brand purpose, and thinking about organisations like B Corp. They are championing 
planet and people alongside profit. So that must be a certain amount of encouragement that there's a sense in which this kind of personal conviction is actually for you starting to meter out into... My only concern is a lot of people will stick labels on their front of their company brochure. Do they really mean it or are they actually doing it for the right reasons? I remember I went to a Google presentation and they said how brilliantly they're behaving for the planet and everything else and connected everyone. So I raised the question, do you pay your tax, your fair amount of tax? And the room went completely quiet because they didn't want to be challenged on their own ethics. You know, Amazon has got the same issue for me. You know, their their vans drive around the roads delivering stuff. They should contribute their fair share of tax to society. So I think every company has to not just look at B Corp, but actually really dig deep into what they're about. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people just want to put a badge on their front and say, actually, we got B Corp, therefore we're okay, and not really deliver authentic values. Simon, it's been lovely to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for being willing to be interviewed. Um, Thanks for joining us. Thank you. You've been listening to Why It Matters. Why It Matters has been put together by Spark Studio, the brand and design agency based in London. To find out more about us, visit our website at sparks-studio.com. Join the conversation on Twitter and Instagram at hashtag whyitmatterspod or get in touch with me at whyitmatters at sparks-studio.com. Thanks for listening.